0: and understanding how keto is so effective in proving so many different conditions, from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science. We'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, welcome back to the next episode of the Keto Naturopath. This is Dr. Goldcamp. You know, I want to sort of give a summary of what have I learned in the last four years about talking about keto? Uh, the story is that it, it was a big change in my life personally, my health life, given, and I've covered that in a number of past videos, so I'm not going to rehash that. It was very valuable. So is it any less valuable now? It is not any less valuable now, but it falls into my way of thinking about when, when you identify a deficiency and then you address it, what happens on the other side of that? How do you measure success or what do we need? How much, how long do we continue doing what we're doing? So in the course of, let me just put this out there if, in case it's, if you think I'm speaking contradictorily of the ketogenic diet, not at all. I've gone deep into the history of and how it got to the present, how it got forgotten and all the different variations of it by a lot of deep research in my view. And so um, having dropped carbs, uh, pretty much for us, we still have dropped carbs. I don't think, um, you know, we were big, I will not say vegetarians completely, but we had a huge garden and we put things away, a lot of canning and canning and so on and so forth. And we still have a lot of that there in our, uh, in our, let's um, say larder in our, um, anyway, where we keep all that stuff in the cans and so on. And so it is all still good, but we don't have that much of it. I'm, I, I don't use the word carnivore because carnivore is a very vague term for anything. It means what? You're a meat eater? What kind of meat? And it just gets to be kind of flimsy other than I get it. You're eating more meat than veggies. That's pretty much what it is. Uh, it's a vague definition. But what I've gone deeper in is the understanding I certainly could do, I do a lot of labs. So you've certainly got that. And if you've been listening to me or watching the videos that I do, do a lot of labs because I want to know definitively what's that person's orientation. So we do you know, hormonal, we do uh, micronutrient assessments. And none of these are perfect, by the way. No one test, whether you're a Quest or LabCorp or some of the fancy labs that we use, they are an approximation. And you put that into the larger context, the constellation of the data that you have on this person. And it's very helpful. But would I say, hey, you have this one test. So therefore? No, I'd go, this test then requires me to at least do three or four others to get a larger context of how true that one lab is. Whether it's insulin or glucose and so on and so forth, if one had an alarming high, high fasting glucose, um, then I would obviously do, I usually do them in tandem, but if they're giving me data from their doctor, I'd say, well, let's redo that and let's see where your insulin is. That would be a big leg up. And then after that, I would certainly want to do probably concurrent with that request would be, you know, your CBC and your chem panel just to sort of get the basics. Then we'd go into essential fatty acids and so on. But when you look for deficiencies, and that's usually what the story is of how we're living today. We didn't mean to get here. I don't know if we meant here to get here or not, but however inadvertently we got to this rather starvation in terms of nutrient diet and overnutrition in terms of just a lot of calories devoid of nutrition, this is the norm. You know, there was an article from the New York Times just barely a year ago. It says, the expectation is 50% of us are going to be obese. That's huge. That's just put out there. That's just reading conservatively the data that's accumulated. And clearly, the headlines can be much more egregious and dramatic than that relative to health health outcomes whether you're talking about dementia or chronic diseases or um kids on spectrum disorder, it's all that is you go, wow, that's that's a lot of stuff. What's happened? I believe it does boil down to we haven't been eating real food for a long time. So clearly one of the things that I recommend for everybody who works with me is that you identify the deficiencies in the situation and you find out because they've now had to do this seven day diet diary, if not a month, so I get a read of what their life actually is and say, you know, these are the changes we can make that are dramatic. So one of these changes um that happens when you address a deficiency is they feel remarkably better. And you're they they either love that supplement or love that doctor that recommended that, that person's a hero, but then it sort of trails away. You know, it becomes, it diminishes. And that's the way it should happen. Because when you fill in the deficiency, you will have a remarkable change. But as it finally gets to be normalized over a day or a week or a month or two months, whatever it is we're talking about, some slower than others. Um, The change from one day to the other, do you feel better? Did this change? It's not so much. And so whether that's the ketogenic diet or whether that's a particular B vitamin we're looking at, it really has the same sort of pattern. So when I look at keto, Um, it is part of, we have pretty much devoid of carbs. And that was a fairly new concept back in 2013 for me prior to the keto conferences and looking into all that because I had a motivation to make myself healthier and to look at my assumptions that I had dismissed earlier. And that clearly was one of the ones that I had dismissed. It's the only way to learn is to check your assumptions. So where am I now then? Still, if people are high carb and primarily a processed food diet, then absolutely they need to start out keto, which is usually addressed in terms of looking at macros, which is kind of a superficial way of looking at a diet. And I always thought that, but it's useful in starting people on keto. So you look at, look, we're going to get you down to 20 grams of carbohydrates, total carbohydrates per day. We're not going to do it in a day. If you're, if they're on a hundred, 200, 300 grams of carbs we're going to transition down there. That's our goal on that macro. We haven't talked about good or bad. I mean, we'll get into that conversation with that person as it evolves, but too much information up front stops everybody from taking the first step of improvement. So, we do that and then we look at certainly we have to calculate and show how to calculate the adequate amount of protein they need to have. You know, so we do that so they got that down. They go, "Well, oh, how much fat should I have?" And well, what we do is simply say, fill the rest with fat relative to your basal metabolic rate, your BMR, and, uh, or just have whole food sources um, of food, meaning lean to have your fats, Have your doesn't even have to be lean, but I don't think I'd go out of my way to eat all the extra fat off of ribeye or, or pork and so on and so forth, just be reasonable. But if you have whole food sources, nobody's ever going to be deprived of fat, and there is carbs and all these other sources as well. But, so, we got addressing deficiencies, and if you look at the ketogenic diet as it was a deficiency of ketones, you go, what? Yeah, nobody ever really measured ketones before. The only time you measured ketones was for an advanced diabetic and you would check their urine, and you would check their serum, and you go, oh my gosh, look at these ketones. This 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 person's in ketoacidosis. That's a pretty extreme bad thing. It means this person has been a diabetic for so long that their body is still trying to get energy. You know, the insulin is so high, it is making them kind of a very difficult for them to have enough glucose energy. So what does the body automatically do? It goes, ah, let's just crank up the ketones. So it, it has a consistently high glucose and consistently uh, and a growing higher level of ketones. So it's ketoacidosis and that's a bad situation. And you obviously see that in the urine pretty much first, but that's an extreme case. That's when the body seeks out ketones to increase your ketone level. So when I say ketone deficiency, is that you know I look back, well, why did this, why was this transition so incredible for myself and my wife, and obviously a lot of other people? And how do you measure that deficiency? Should ketones be measured just like you're doing a CBC or any of these other labs that I'm I'm looking at? Um, I think it should be. I think it will be negligible, but. When we look at the profound impact increasing one's ketones, let's say through MCT oil, we think of uh, the work in Alzheimer's, and suddenly uh, Dr. Uh, Cunane and saying, you know, that the the destruction of the brain uh, it, it due to sustained high insulin it keeps it from actually being able to get enough glucose, and that begins sort of the starvation of the brain, and the brain starts to die in its various parts. Okay. So when we increase the ketones, it's not a gated way of getting ketones to the brain. We just have to bring up systemically for the whole body, bring up that percent of ketones in your blood level, in your serum, in your plasma. And so as that rises, that percent will then simply drive in as an energy source into your uh, brain cells, into your nerve cells throughout your whole body. So that's Really pretty interesting. Glucose is gated and uh, ketones are not. And so just increasing that. So, how again can we talk about this as a deficiency? Well, we find remarkable changes when we give something, uh, remarkably healthy changes when we get these ketone levels up. They're at brain repair. We have a lot of other, you know, and restoration of various organs that have been damaged due to sustained elevated glucose and insulin, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're now looking back down the historic alley of ancestral origins and so on, we can justify and rationalize that more than likely for hundreds of thousands of years, certainly tens of thousands of years, most of us, let's go back safely, two to 300 years ago, and then way before that, is that we had an ongoing ketone level in our bloodstream because we didn't eat that much you know foods was pretty precious and we needed to go find it so we didn't just go open up the fridge it wasn't doable it was you know where do we get the next food and the things that stayed more preserved were the proteins you know your carbs did not stay preserved that well you know you picked them and they had to be eaten fresh so protein was the default and the animals were like refrigerators if you will you know you killed the animal and there you go there's you know their their portability their our animal husbandry of raising those animals or going out and hunter gathering and, and killing that animal we knew there was food out there that was kind of like a, a roving refrigerator we just needed to go get it kill it and open it and eat it and so the idea of ketones being an ongoing background for our day-to-day was pretty much the norm for well over a hundred thousand years well over for the majority of our evolution. And I say human evolution is in the last 200,000 years. So that's a big deal. And it only is up until, uh, well, it depends what mark you want to use, but I say processed food entered after World War II. You can say things like 10,000 years ago, you had the uh, agricultural revolution, which has brought in the wheat and so on and so forth. And it began in that direction. And there's a lot of uh, a podcast I've done on that, and there were some subsequent changes, but the most egregious change has been the majority of our food is now processed foods, so maybe you're one of the more elite for lack of a better word uh educated um well informed person, and so you are not quite that way, but we were all sucked into believing that we can have nutritious, convenient foods. I remember stofers growing up as the dinner alternative dinner um or tv dinners and it's you know that was a pretty basic change but we now have gone far beyond that you know uh you can just watch yourself for a day and see what you eat and you know, what are the exceptions in your mind when you rationalize you're having that processed food you go well it's good because why Or maybe you're rationalizing it because you're stressed and it's a stress food. Or maybe you're rationalizing it because you need to celebrate something. You know, I I don't really care how you get there. I'm just saying that on your day-to-day, there's plenty of processed foods. And that has incrementally decreased the nutrition in your life over time. So now back to what is medicine, or at least how I had practiced it, was identifying the most prominent, the most egregious, I use that word a lot apparently, the most... um, with the biggest deficiency and that would be the biggest bang for the buck right that would be the trade-in biggest bang for the buck but the problem is you really need a context so you go well there's a mult." that was the context of a multiple vitamin you know you gave more than just one thing because if if you just have nobody has just one deficiency today but you take the biggest deficiency. all right that gets so, so um, satisfied but what happens then the other deficiencies weren't addressed and so now you've caused other problems maybe not the same one that you had So you have to look at it a little more broadly, but you still start from the top of this to move down. I put ketones or looking at the ketogenic diet in that aspect. It was probably the biggest deficiency we have had for the longest period of time in our lives go back 100 years, and now bring in ketones and the idea of whether it's intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating or fasting in general as a healthy thing. And those were all very popular in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Some went too far, and uh, people died following certain fasting protocol. But it was there, and, and it wasn't a esoteric, weird thing to do. It just had to be monitored, and it still goes on. You know, water fast for three weeks turns turns, uh, changes for the better, a lot of immune system situations. So it's like, when all else fails, stop eating, keep your water and so on and so forth. And uh, if you have a water fast for three weeks and you're in a dire situation, more than likely things will change. And then we've talked with uh, Dr. Thomas Seckfried up at um, Boston College about a hypocaloric ketogenic diet being addressed with cancers It's pretty much the same thing. Fasting is part of that. And we, we got ketones through fasting. The whole ketogenic diet came out of wanting to get the benefits of fasting, but make it in a sustainable diet for primarily pediatric epilepsy. So it's all there. Um, and so ketones I see as a nutrient that does have to be addressed in, in somebody's life. So, whether we we're going to say ketones, otherwise known as a low-carb diet, that's fine. I mean, that's how you get to ketosis. So, ketones are the opposite of high carbs, right? Are the opposite of glucose. Where do you get glucose? You get it from carbs, right? And we can argue what kind of carbs and so on and so forth, but I see it as a requirement. But once that requirement is absolved, it's treated, It's we've made that transition into being a metabolically efficient machine. So we can be a fat burner or a glucose burner, depending on what we need. And we know athletes and athletic teams have been put on a, um, a low carb, high fat diet, and they've become very metabolically, um, fit and the ultra runners for like a hundred plus miles, um, are on uh, pretty much carbless diets. So, um, not all of them, but it's been done and shown that it can work. So it's something that should be part of the mix, is what I'm saying. And when you have it as part of the mix, a lot of other problems go away. And that's exactly what happens when you address any particular deficiency. You identify it, and you be sure and how you identify it that what you have, that data is true. You address it, and certain things are going to disappear and become less prominent, and then you go to the next tier, and then you go to the next tier, and then you go to the next tier. So in that process... um. And I'm obviously going well down the rabbit hole of methylation and SNP, single nuclear polymorphism, because in part I find it fascinating. And I used to lecture at this back in 2005 or six, I think. um, And it's become much more, much more prominent and uh, easy to find this information. It wasn't that easy back then. Um, That what I see now is that you do have to assess for deficiencies and you need to either have that intuition about your own life. If you're not going to see a doctor, you then need to have a doctor which you can assess for these things. And you start with serum, which is not always a great uh, test to measure for deficiencies, but it's a place to start. And then you kind of get more specialized after that. So you, you address those. But what I found is in this era of being abundant with deficiencies and abundant with calories, right? That overnutrition environment is that it comes down to where does it hit us most? Where does it affect us most? It affects us most in this era of lean nutrition for the majority of the population. It affects those that have the predisposition of some bad mutations. And those bad mutations usually revolve around full eight B12, and choline. You could argue, oh, what about essential fatty acid? I'm saying it's all important. But what I'm saying is that these three are incredibly valuable in terms of having people be able to methylate, methylate on a regular basis to manifest life. What that means is to turn cells on and off to, as they are needed. And I've talked about this before. And that's really crucial to have that process down. To have that process down so you can distinguish, you can differentiate what cells need to be off and what cells need to be on. You know, part of this whole thing of saying, well, methylation is so important, and they now have these uh, epigenetic methylation clocks, they're probably much saying the same thing. They're saying who has a healthy methylation pattern, that who has a very specific dialed in exact ability to turn things on and off as are needed. Those who don't, that are losing that ability, too many genes are turned on that should be off and vice versa, they get into various illnesses. Well, that's a bad methylation pattern. How do you bring that back? And, and, and a be- better que- question is, why didn't this happen before, you know, 100 years ago? Why didn't we hear this? We didn't obviously have the technology and so on, of course. But um, I believe as a standard, it was a much more nutritious meal, uh, lifestyle that we had then in calories were the issue of not finding enough and now it's we're calorie rich and it has blocked us from looking into nutrition because we had enough to eat that day of devoid <laughs> of de, of de, of food that was devoid of nutrition the trouble you get in with that is systemic but anyway where we go to find out who had those problems are during those times of starvation so whether it's the dutch uh hunger winter of the end of World War two, and we found all these people that started having uh, depression schizophrenia and by the way, that's where um uh, Crohn's uh really got identified, and that's where uh celiac disease got identified Is really what I meant by the doctor dicks um and It was because the nutrition got to be so low and the calories got to be so low. We got to see who fell apart first and why they fell apart. And that data is still there. And yet it was in a pretty sophisticated part of the world. So data was taken on these people. So we have a beginning there. But it's happened in subsequent famines and so on and so forth. Why did these things? Well, it speaks to people who have certain... um, Mutations, single nuclear polymorphisms that make them more vulnerable as a population, as a subpopulation, I should say, to various deficiencies. So, in the time in which we all have a good diet, we have enough good protein, we have enough good eggs, we have enough good, and if you want to throw in your veggies, they're there too. Then you go, well, these problems didn't exist, right? Because we were kind of flooded in a healthy sense of good nutrition ubiquitously for the population at large. And so these, these smaller issues, these issues then were smaller, really weren't attention getting. Then as nutrition dropped in these extreme situations, you go, oh, look who's look who's not doing well. And look, we're getting a, a consistent number of people with this condition and this condition and this condition. Um, and we started that documentation. Now we are in another Famine, if you will, of nutrition, and we're suffering the same consequences, but now we have plenty of calories. So what do we expect? Back to that New York Times article. Easily 50% of the population is going to be obese. They're going to be obese and nutritionally impaired, nutritionally deficient in various areas. But if I could drive one thing home of these things that I've learned since I've been going deeper, 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 deeper since crossing the rubicon of my own beliefs of getting into the ketogenic diet and then saying so what else have i not been looking closely at um it's identifying deficiencies addressing deficiencies but the and and looking at whole foods so if you really are a person that believes that mantra of using food as your medicine from hippocrates you know it's roughly 2500 years ago 500 years before the time of christ and 400 years 450 before caesar you know, this is what he did. He was big into fasting as well, but he used food, quote, as medicine. Let me say that, um, you know, the, the avoidance of liver and egg yolks coupled with the abundance of processed food has wiped us out, has totally wiped us out. I could go into fish and so on and so forth, and that's a whole other thing, but primarily those two things. If you have people... Start having fish, uh, start having liver at least three times a week. And if you have if people that have eggs, we'll say, but egg yolks is what I'm after in this point. Um, eggs are fine. But folate, no, sorry, not folate, uh, egg yolks are the highest concentration of choline. Choline, in my view, is kind of a master uh Nutrient. It 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 balances the folate and the B12, and you need to have all three as a triumvirate, if you will. You need to have all three because they balance each other. When when either one is deficient, folate and B12 work together and they balance choline. But you need both. Choline goes on to so many other things. Acetylcholine. It helps make D H, the fat in your brain, D H uh, A. It goes into helping bone growth. It goes into phosphatidylcholine, which is in every cell of your body, of course. It has to do with uh, liver support, so that's why people who are devoid, and they have this down, choline is the only nutrient that when you're deficient of, it will cause liver, liver problems. It will cause a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So it, it is known that that will happen, and that's just beginning. And it's really interesting. Let me throw this other thing out there. Choline is very much part of a bile, right? It's nine, nine parts- phosphatidylcholine and one part choline that's a healthy bile so you have a high percentage of choline in your bile and you also find choline very much in your brain oh, a whole nother topic coming up about that it's like here you go liver and brain it is pretty high concentration why is that without going into all that just just accept that it's very important and lack of it drives the whole dementia alzheimer's uh, population to get worse and worse and worse And lack of it causes obesity, certainly the fatty liver from non-alcoholic fatty liver disease to fat belly to on for that. So it's like these two things are also crucial. So am I saying on the Keto Naturopath podcast here that no, keto is not as important? No, I'm saying that is kind of maybe first base that that is your deficiency. So these people that had, um, they took MCT and they got their ketones up there and their mental capacity started coming back for a bit. Um, It's really about that they had this ingrained deficiency. Once addressed, move on to the next thing. Once addressed, move on to the next thing, as you gradually fill in and become more knowledgeable about yourself. so It in itself won't resolve everything, but in itself should If you are a high processed food and a high carb person, we'll have some dramatic results. If you are a person that doesn't have already a lot of high carbs and so on, you're really focusing on keto may not be that big of a difference for you, but for others, it has been remarkable. And it takes a different length of time for each person to manifest those benefits. If somebody has been a diabetic for 10 or 20 years, they're not going to be better next week. They might not be that much better at the end of the year, but they should have something substantially blood markers moving in the right direction. And probably for a year or two after that, they will start to transition to a much better, healthier lifestyle. But, and so for those who had uh, dysglycemia, blood sugar problems or a shorter period of time, they're going to be faster to gain the benefits. So that's what I wanted to say is that there are some nutrients that are more important than others. Let's say ketones are part of it. Do you have to always be in ketosis? No. And what they found in this whole sort of now more studies being done about ketosis and the ketogenic diet, and it's now a billion different variations, is that your ketone levels will fall to a kind of nominal level. So you won't be doing these threes and fours and fives if you're measuring your ketones in a ketometer. Well, will drop down to even just being around a half. 0. 0.6 is what the verto Health uh, people say, Jeff Fluick and Steve Inney. And that's reasonable. That's pretty much the same story. When you follow any deficiency, that it becomes less over time because you've taken care of it. It is now has you know gone to where it's supposed to go. It's made these changes still important. Don't create that deficiency again. But there's other things now that will bring you to a higher level of of health. And so we have people coming from the ketogenic diet and even carnivore into a protein-sparing modified fast. And this is not my pitch for that because people go, gosh, I'm now losing the weight that I couldn't lose in keto or carnivore, even though they lost a lot pre- from where they were to going to keto or to carnivore. So why is that? Um, initially, the, you can say, well, it's it's less fat. You know, and you're dropping the fat in your diet, you're going to drop the fat in your body. Of course, check that box. But I don't think it's just about that. I think it actually comes down to more about if people in their protein-sparing modified fast actually do the things that we talk about, which is they're really getting in much more egg yolks, and ideally they're getting in some liver, but we'll go with the egg yolks. Egg yolks, as I say, are the single highest food of folate. Let me give you a comparison. For a three-ounce serving, three-ounce serving of egg yolks, and three-ounce serving compared to three ounces of cod liver or turkey liver or chicken liver, beef liver, veal liver, pork liver, um, egg yolks where the number is, um, 700 milligrams per one, for three ounce, three ounces of egg yolks, which is, it may or may not be one. It may not even be one egg yolk. It might be depending on size of the egg and so on. But let's say it's ballpark about one. Um, I think it's really about two thirds of that egg yolk. That's 700 compared to the the runner up is pork liver at 413. For a three-ounce serving of pork liver, so it's tremendously high, tremendously high. It's almost like the single most important reason you would have egg yolks in your lifestyle is for choline, and choline is, oh, uh, for women, it's going to be uh, a, an amazing change. I mean, not only just postmenopausally, uh, choline is a big deal about uh, certainly pregnancy and preconception, um, and it's a whole another. Connection there with estrogen and choline, but choline and egg yolks are necessary for everybody. And uh, so that's why I think in the uh, PSMF, one of the things that they inadvertently address is now they come back to egg yolks. I think it's pretty neat, it's kind of fun. And wow, there's egg yolk waffles and egg yolk crepes we make. And then we uh, encourage them to wrap it up in a protein and a a liver pate or whatever to to use whole foods as medicine. You know, <laughs> Hippocrates right there on your plate. So those are the two. With those two things, uh, it's incredible how your health will change. But when people go, I grew up in the era of processed foods, I don't have to have all these things. Give me a supplement for choline. Give me a supplement for what are the, what are the other reasons I'm supposed to take liver for? Uh, oh, B12 and folate. Give me supplements for that. You can do that and, and certainly be better off than not doing it at all. But when you get to be so isolated on a supplement for this, a supplement for that, a supplement for this, in addition to the processed foods that you're still feeling you have to take, uh, yes, you've made an improvement. Congratulations. But, and and that's kind of the biohackers market. They don't still quite address the whole foods. You know, they, it's all about supplements. Um, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. People are marginally better, but it's not like they are radiant with health. There's a, reason whole foods are the number one way to address your health. And primarily that is eggs, i.e. egg yolks. And certainly the protein with eggs are fine too. Some people have a sensitivity to that and the sensitivity came through their decades of doing processed foods, but hopefully in time that will change. So it's egg yolks and liver will change your life. I hope that wasn't too much of a ramble, but it's about idea of addressing deficiencies and moving on to the next. And how some of these are inadvertent. So when we like to sing the glories of the ketogenic diet, which I certainly do as well, um, we also have to say, you know, there are certain things that it might inadvertently have addressed in addition to ketones, and uh, might certain things that it might not have addressed that are addressed in the subsequent dietary changes, whether it's carnivore or protein sparing modified fast. And you have to ask why did these changes happen? Okay, till next time. Bye bye. Hi, this is Dr. Gold Kamikin. For a brief reminder of something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode, you've heard me talk long enough on many different episodes. But what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just want to reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode. Uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So, what you need to do is to send me your questions at Dr. Goldcamp at ketonatropath.com. So that's D R G O L D K A M P at K E T O N A T U R O P A T H dot com. Dr. Goldcamp at ketonatropath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonatropath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions and uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.